side? Uh, yes, yeah, it's recording the call. All right, cool. Hold on. All right. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Growing Knowledge Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Cruz, and today with me, I have Mr. J.P. Prescott on this episode of the podcast. Um, just kind of dive right into it. J.P., why don't you give the folks kind of like a brief, you know, if you were to look up J.P. Prescott and there's a Wikipedia bio of who you were, um, what would that look like? Can you kind of just tell us a bit about, you know, who the heck are you? <laughs> so, I was born in Tallahassee, Florida. And when I was about two or three, we moved down to Plant City. So that's where I got all my education. Went to Talma Middle School and Strawberry Crest High School. Um, mm. My real name is James Prescott. Pop, contrary to popular belief, um, my name is not, in fact, James Prescott Prescott, like it would appear. <laughs> but my real name is James Prescott from Tallahassee. And if I had to kind of put stuff out there about what I'm interested in, um, FFA and agriculture is obviously up there at the top, but along with it is I used to be on the swim team. Um, I've always been a fan of hiking, eating food, and recently I've been trying to play the banjo even though I'm not that good at it. So that kind of sums up me in a, in a person. Yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of like what I know about you. And no, I didn't know you, you were going to Tallahassee. That's really interesting and that your, your folks aren't really from the Plant City area, what kind of made them want to move down there, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, no problem. So um, my dad was in the military reserves in the Navy, and after 9-11, okay, cool. they basically called him down to Tampa. And uh, originally, my mom was going to stay up here with me, so we did that for about two years with my brother and sister. And then mm -hmm. um, eventually he realized that he was probably just going to end up working down there all the time, probably until the foreseeable future. So we decided to move down and lived in an apartment for a while and kind of looked around for places to live. And we just kind of settled on Plant City because it still had a small town feel and wasn't too close to Tampa. And so that's kind of why we settled in on the Plant City area. That's really interesting. Um, just so you guys know, if it's cutting in and out, like you guys are going to hear, it, JP's in a Chick-fil-A parking lot right now um, while we're recording this. <laughs> um but yeah, you know, you talk about how the Plant City has that small town feel, and it definitely does from the experiences I've been there. And um, do you think that had like an impact on you growing up, like just that community? Because, you know, when people talk about the Plant City area, it's something that's very always positive and almost Mayberry-ish in a sense where like everyone kind of knows each other. You know, it's kind of like your typical small town USA, for the most part, from what I'm sure, like from what I've experienced down there. Um, so do you think that played like a big role of like who you are and like what you believe in? Um, I would say so. Plant City is a very interesting place because in terms of population, it's not really a small town. Um, mm -hmm. it's like, it's well over 30,000 people. So it's pretty large mm -hmm. in terms of cities, but it just really feels like a small town, which is kind of interesting because like you said, everyone kind of does know each other. Um, all the restaurants are barbecue restaurants and very local and hometown and yeah i think it definitely played a part into what i believe in because when you're looking at plant city it's a very agricultural community i mean strawberries are quite literally the root of what our town is and mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the very developed agricultural community and very developed ffa 
environment that we have in that area, I don't think I would be anywhere near where I am today. Um, I'd probably be a very different person if we stayed up in Tallahassee because um, Tallahassee is much less rural, much less agricultural. Yeah. I definitely would not be involved in FFA like I am today. So you kind of touched on how like in Plant City, FFA is kind of a big thing. and It's kind of pushed everywhere and along with agriculture due to the, the background of strawberries and everything. So when it came time when you were at Tomlin, were you kind of just was FFA just kind of pushed upon you? Like, did you a lot of were you a lot of your friends in it? Like, how did that how did that start for you? Um, I guess you could say it was kind of pushed upon me because um, I didn't really want to join in sixth grade because my family does own a tree farm, but I was never like very involved in agriculture. And I was like, yeah. future farmers of America, that's not really what I'm planning on doing. So yeah. I didn't really see it as a, as a good outlet for me, but I was kind of pushed into it by a good friend of mine named Dalton, who made me do forestry the first time and probably very similar to a lot of other FFA members that just kind of lit the fire. And mm. throughout middle and high school, I just kind of got more involved in different competitions and just, um, started an SAE project and really started to get a feel for what agriculture really was and how much I enjoyed it. And so it was sort of pushed upon me. And I really do thank Plant City for being so well developed in that area um, because the resources we have there are just unmatched. And the people that kind of support you and motivate you in that area are very, very good at what they do. And that definitely helped a lot when it came to my involvement in FFA. Now, when you're at Tomlin, was that when Mr. Uh, Stewart was there? Yes. Yeah, he was my um, seventh grade teacher. Oh, okay. So you only had him for one year? Uh, I only had him as a teacher for one year. My eighth grade year, I had uh, Miss Goff for biotech, but he was an advisor there for all three years I was there. Oh, okay. Um, so you talked about forestry and how that was like kind of your big con, your first contest, and that was. You know, it is a lot of people's because it's right there at the beginning of the year. It was mine, and that's where I fell in love. You know, I, w- I got my first ribbon doing that, and it made me feel like cool. You know, I was like, "Yeah, I know bugs really well. Well, not really oh, yeah. well, third best. But, um, <laughs> you know, and then a lot of people know you for is extemporaneous. And how did that come about? Like, was that just something, you know, someone's like, hey, JP, you should do this? Or did you kind of inquire that yourself? How did, how did you become you know, like the extemporaneous guy. So I was in the IB program at Strawberry Crest, which involves a lot of presentations. And I guess I just sort of found that I was a lot better when I went off the fly and had a very loose guideline for what I wanted to say. And Mm -hmm. so my sophomore year, I decided that I wanted to give it a shot. And I went in with not a ton of resources. My team was also competing in par pro that year. So I wasn't fully devoted to and I got third at sub-district and I was like, all right, that was, that was pretty fun. And the next year, my advisor, Miss Mayo was kind of pushing me like, come on, it's time to get in, get into extemporaneous again. Um, and that was the only thing I competed in at sub-districts that year. And I was a lot more prepared, better resources. You know, she coached me through a lot of stuff and made me give speeches even when I didn't want to. And with her push and, um, my better resources and maybe being a little bit more mature, I ended up winning it that year at sub-districts and districts and then eventually taking it at the state level, which was a super big blessing. And I'm very happy for anyone that put in the time to watch my speeches and kind of give me feedback. And after the state level, that went up to the national level and I ended up placing third, um, making it to the final four, which was my goal. 
And so I guess what kind of led me into extemporaneous speaking was kind of the push of my advisor, Ms. Mayo, and also just kind of the ability to talk on something on the fly about agriculture, which I already enjoyed. And so it was just a very cohesive competition with everything I kind of enjoyed all wrapped up into one thing. Now, you talked about how... Um... Oh, I just completely lost my train of thought. Um, so with Extemp, you made it all the way to Nationals. You made it to your Final Four. That was like kind of your, your goal, like you said. So what um, what was that like? You know, when after you won State, what was that thought process in your head? Was it like, oh, my gosh. Like, like wh- what were you feeling after that moment? And, like, when you got to the Final Four, what did that make you feel like? You know, realizing that you accomplished your, your goal that you set for you to make it that far – you know, what was that entire experience like for you? So winning the state contest was pretty hard. I had a lot of really stiff competition. Um, people I still kind of keep up with today and all of whom are amazing individuals. And after winning that state contest, I put in the practice for it. Um, I actually chose extemporaneous speaking over ag communications, which I was also on that team that year. And so they were competing in a separate contest for me. Um, I just put in the work. I did a ton of speeches, learned how to do it without index cards, which was a big learning curve. And making it to nationals first round, I thought I did really bad. Um, I lost my train of thought during my speech and kind of had to use some filler words for a little bit, but eventually got back on track and made it to the next round, which kind of put a put a wind into my sails because I realized that maybe I didn't do as bad as I thought. Um, that second round, the semifinal round, I just basically had to go full force into it. And that was a really good speech that I gave that second round. And I was still nervous going into the dinner because I was competing against people from, I think it was 47 different states because there were a few states oh, that wow. didn't send one that year. Mm-hmm. And I was in that room and the way they do it is very torturous. They first read out all the bronze individuals and then they do all of the silver individuals mm. and they go by region. And so if being in the Southern region, if they announce the Southern region silver winners and they don't say your state, it almost, I mean, it certainly means that you're in the final four. So I was at a, at a table with like Alabama and Louisiana. And mm-hmm. so both of their names were called and then they finished the Southern region and they were like, now you're Eastern region. And so I kind of knew at that point and we went up, to the front and shook hands and got our envelopes and all of us up there were just completely flabbergasted for use of the word and (laughs) just kind of talking about how that was our goal and we were really excited because we got to go on the big stage and so it was very very cool to finally reach that goal that you've been setting for yourself and just kind of know that you were able to do that especially since I left my ag comm team to do extemporaneous speaking I really wanted to make sure that I did well in extemp, so it wasn't, I didn't leave in vain, because that was one of my favorite teams I'd ever been on, too. Mm-hmm. So would you say, like, extemp, agcom, those are, like, probably your two favorites? Or maybe Enviro, because I know you you want, you guys won the national championship for that one this past year. Um, I would say, yeah, extemp speaking, um, Enviro, and agcom, and then probably Parpro and Ag Issues are my favorite contests. Gotcha. overall so to kind of move past like the contest part and into more like the leadership part 
you know, um, everyone, a lot of people know you as because you're the state president of the Florida FFA Association, and you know, um, and also for the extent part and your, your involvement in FFA. What kind of led you to want to pursue like the higher positions of office, like state office or even federation or stuff like that? What kind of pushed you to do that? Was it more advisors or friends, or was that something that you're like, hey? I feel like I have the potential of doing stuff like this, so I'm going to go out and do it. Well, I guess it was kind of a goal that I set for myself. When I was in eighth grade, I was an officer at my middle school. I was the second student advisor, so if that tells you anything about how well I did at that screening process, (laughs) um, at least I made it. So on our officer retreat, we got to meet the state officers that year. They just happened to be at the LTC, and that was Victoria Harris's year. Oh, okay. And I kind of learned from her that she went to Strawberry Crest. She was an IB. And so mm-hmm. it was cool to see someone that was similar to me or had similar goals to me yeah. in that position. And so seeing that team on stage, it kind of lit a fire under me that maybe this is something I want to do. Mm-hmm. And in high school, I never really um, reached out to Federation or I tried for district office one year and it didn't work out. And I just kind of realized that maybe what I could do the best was at the chapter level. And so I really put in a lot of work for that and just wanted to make our FFA chapter the best that we could, all of us on that officer team that year. And going into senior year, I decided that I did want to try for state office and put in the work, um, communicated with people that I thought might be able to help me. I practiced presentations. I studied really hard, learned all I could about FFA and the ag industry and completed my state degree my junior year and so everything was kind of set forth and I just kind of wanted to be that symbol that I saw as a seventh and eighth grader that could relate to students and kind of give them a goal that maybe they would want to be like that maybe they would want to achieve something like that someday because seeing that as an eighth grader made me realize that even though I wasn't from an ag background and Mm -hmm. I was more of a nerdy kind of kid that I could achieve something like that. So my goal was to kind of be a figure that could help students that might be in that awkward phase. Maybe they want to, maybe they don't decide to get more involved in leadership roles because they think they can go farther. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's something I think is so cool about FFA nowadays. It's like, you know, it, you don't have to be the stereotypical, like, you know, country kid that wears Wranglers and boots and you can do, you can do that and that's completely fine. And there's, there's a good amount of people that are like that in FFA, but then you have kids that, you know, they're more of the, like you said, kind of nerdy, more academic side where they focus more rather on, you know, other areas of agriculture that interest them, whether that be, you know, plants or animals or whatever it may be, you know, and that's something that I think, especially in the past couple of years and especially like in the start of, I'd say, I guess this century in the 21st century and like the two thousands that that idea of what an FFA member looks like kind of died and it's kind of open to interpretation for anyone. Cause it's so different. Um, and that's something I really like about FFA and it's really interesting to me. And, but yeah, that's just, I, I think that's really cool how you, you know, you, you use your platform and your background where it's like, yeah, you don't, you can be who you want and you can set these goals and you can achieve them and you can be just like me because there's, you, you know, this organization allows you to do that. And, you know, and 
just kind of to dive more into the state office thing, what what has this year been like for you? Like on a mental level, physical level, emotional level, level level, whatever it may be. Like, how how has this experience been so far? Um, it's been pretty incredible. Just I think my officers and I can agree that we've all become sort of a family. And our favorite part about this year is always interacting with FFA members um, because you get to see just the amount of potential that students have in middle school and high school and how they're very similar to what you were like in middle school and high school and how they can look up to you for advice. You get asked all sorts of questions about things and you just try to do your best to answer them. Um, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't tiring because Mm -hmm. you are going 24 seven a lot of times. I mean, Colt conference is six conference days back to back. You're not going to sleep until late. You're waking up early. You're setting up rooms, um, chapter visits, back to back. You're driving to different schools, doing workshops to seven, eight classes. It's definitely very tiring, but it's definitely worth it because the impact you can have on a student is tremendous, especially if you're someone that they can relate to and you're someone that takes the time to show them that you care about them and you care about where they're planning to go. But this year has been incredible. We've traveled the state, the country, even out of the country to learn more about agriculture and learn more about the influence that we can have on um, students at a local or even um, greater than local level. So what was what was that like uh, out of country trip like to Spain and Portugal? Was that that had to been awesome? Like I can only imagine. It was awesome. It was definitely something new because I had never been out of the country before. Mm -hmm. And it was seven of us um, went to Spain and Portugal. Taylor went to South Africa for a Mm -hmm. large animal vet internship, which is awesome. And she has stories that I can't even imagine. But it was 75 state officers from the United States um, from all over. And we went to Spain and Portugal. We had our small groups and we just toured a large portion of the country. We got to see um, a more northern and central area, which is very mountainous, kind of desert-like. And then the southern area, which is... Um, very much tropical, very similar to Florida, actually, and then Portugal, which um, was incredible in its own right. We got to see ag, what ag looked like there. We got to meet with people that were very influential in global agriculture, and we got to learn about a country that none of us had been to or really experienced before, which was really, really awesome. So one last question before we kind of jump off the FFA stuff. You know, I sent you an email with the questions and this was kind of a one that I was kind of proud of when I created it. You know, if, if you could make, if you're going to write a book of your, your year as a state officer, what would the title be? And let's say this book got picked up by, you know, Paramount or whatever, and they're going to make it into a movie. Who would play James Prescott? Yeah, I definitely contemplated this question a lot. Um, <laughs> in terms of book title, um, I thought of a, a good one. I think it would be called where we are going and, uh-huh. The reason I picked that title is because as a state officer, you really learn about yourself and where you think you're going to go in the future and maybe what isn't true, what is truly important to you. And you also learn about students all over the state and where they want to go. So I've been to Pensacola. I've been to Miami. I've seen students from vastly different backgrounds and Mm -hmm. learned about where they want to go in the future and kind of what their goals are. And it's really really cool to see that people from different backgrounds can have similar goals and also how people can have very different goals, whether they're going to work in the ag industry um, or not. 
or they're just doing FFA because they really enjoy it. Um, you get to see where the future of our state and where our country is going. And I think another very important thing to recognize is the FFA is growing really rapidly. Yeah. And we get to see firsthand how students that are in middle school are becoming better leaders, are becoming better leaders in their community, in their schools. And we get to see how high schoolers are beginning to realize where they want to go to college. And so you really get to see where we're going as an organization, as a state, and as a country based on this year of service that we've had. Now, in terms of movies, um, I've thought about who I would want to play me. I don't want to be too flattering to myself or anything. <laughs> um, I'm not going to pick some like huge name actor that I think doesn't look like me at all. But uh, I've actually thought about what actors look like me because that's kind of the way I'm taking this question. And there is an actor that looks a lot like me. I've been told by a lot of people. Um, I think who would play me in this movie is Nick Robinson. He played the older brother in Jurassic World. Um, I don't know. He just looks a lot like me. And I think he would be able to portray me pretty well. Oh, yeah, I see I'm not, not going to get up here and say Matthew McConaughey because that'd be <laughs> awkward and definitely doesn't look like me. But I think Nick Robinson would play me. Um, yeah, I think it'd be I a pretty it. good movie. Pretty inspirational, I'd hope. Yeah, I definitely could see it. I just Googled him. I'm like, oh, okay, I know who that guy is. I can see it. Um, so kind of just, you know, to jump it off, jump off from the FFA and kind of the post-FFA world, JP, like, what, what are your plans after all this FFA stuff is kind of over? That's a big question because it's hard to even imagine <laughs> that this year is close to over. But when I look at what I would want to do after FFA, um, I am going to the University of Florida, so go Gators. I mean – best in the state easily but <laughs> i'm going for currently soil and water sciences um, with a focus on soil sciences mm -hmm. but my decision on my major is kind of up in the air still originally i wanted to do ag engineering but i've kind of gotten away from that recently mm -hmm. and i've been more invested in soil science because i love dirt and i feel like <laughs> not a lot of people do so it could be a pretty good thing to get involved with but i've also looked at ag education and kind of what my life would be like if I chose to be an ag teacher and so I might double major I might mm -hmm. change my major who really knows but I do plan on staying in the ag field one way or another mm -hmm. and working for either a company or working for myself or helping my parents out at the farm they're planning on starting so there's a lot that's up in the air for me but I think in the immediate future it's going to be going to the University of Florida and getting a degree in the agricultural field, even if I don't know what that looks like yet. That's really awesome. You know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm just kind of trying to figure out what I want to do in my life because I have no idea, you know. <laughs> um, and that's something I think is kind of funny about the question of when people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up when you're little? And you give them an answer and you, you always change it. Um, but then you actually get here and it's like, so what do you want to be? And I'm like, I don't know. And some people exactly. do know, and that's good for them. Like they know what they want to do and whatever. And, but I, I think it's okay for people like our age, not to know what we want to do. Cause we're still, we're still kids, you know, we're still young. We're still trying to figure out what we like, what we believe in, what our philosophy is, what we value. And, you know, that's all going to change and eventually we'll figure it out. But it's okay if we don't have it out right now. And that's something I always try to remember. And my dad always told me, he's like, hey, I'd rather you figure it out later 
than waste money now not doing something you're going to like. And, um, you know, that's just something I try to hold on to. Um, kind of just to wrap some things up, you know, the big thing with FFA and something a lot of people, when they think of FFA, they think of the creed. And, you know, that it starts out with, I believe in the future of agriculture with the faith born, not of words, but of deeds. And, you know, this is something like every FFA get, kid gets asked at every interview or every screening process, whatever it may be. And they always ask you, you know, what, it, what do you think the future of agriculture is going to look like? Or why do you believe in the future of agriculture? So, James Prescott, I pose you the, the age-old question. What do you think agriculture can and will look like, you know, within, let's say, the next decade? Because, you know, a lot can happen. Yeah, that's definitely a tough question because, I mean, agriculture has been around since the beginning of time and it's changed a lot, but a lot of things have stayed the same. And when you're looking at agriculture, it's easily one of the most resilient industries and it's also one of the most uncertain industries, um, whether that be weather patterns or um, just crop damage from insects or just things that you can't predict as a farmer. I think one major thing that we've kind of gone towards in the ag industry recently is trying to mitigate uncertainty. So any goal or any time we use genetic modification or try to come up with a better pesticide fertilizer, what we're trying to do is mitigate uncertainties and risks because the more stable we are with our farms, the more stable food supply we're going to have and more stable profits are going to come to our agriculturalists. And I think we're just going to continue with advancements in technology and in um, DNA technology specifically to try to mitigate risk and uncertainty in the ag industry, whether that be through precision agriculture or genetic modification or any of those avenues that can help farmers become less uncertain about certain things that impact the ag industry. I think what we're really looking at is an overall more stable industry and hopefully newer advancements that can help us grow the food we need even on a shrinking amount of land in the United States. And I think kind of that's where we're going to go in the next 10 years. Um, a lot more um, technology regarding computer science is probably going to be integrated into agriculture just because it's something that's being integrated into everything right now. And I think it has a lot of potential to do good. And I think anything that does good for the ag industry is something we need to put our resources towards. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you, and that's, you know, that's something that's definitely going to be affected, like the agriculture industry is definitely going to change in the perspective of technology and infrastructure and the way certain, certain things are done and to help, you know, feed however many people by whatever year. Um, but, I, you know, I really appreciate it, JP, you know, um, through all this craziness, I know people are kind of cooped up, and I'm sure they'll they'll enjoy this, so... You know, before I like to wrap up, I always like my guests to have a little spot where they can plug or anything or say anything they'd like to say. So is there anything you'd like to shout out? Just say for the people. Um, go ahead. Um, I guess my only thing I'd like to say is just during this time, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on social media and just overall to get something done. Um, maybe mm -hmm. you're trying to get a maybe you're trying to become healthier, maybe you're trying to gain a new skill. And I just kind of want to say that this is really tough for a lot of people. And it's okay if you don't come out of this with 
some new skill. It's okay if you don't put all of your resources towards um, learning something every single day. Um, this is kind of uncharted territory and there's not really mm -hmm. a need to go at 100% this entire time when a lot of times you're being plagued with anxiety. Maybe you don't know what the future holds. Maybe you're worried about loved ones. And so I guess I just want to say that it's okay to not be going at 100% during this time, but definitely stay connected with friends and just try to lean on other people to get through this um, difficult time that we're facing and just try to make the best out of it. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, dude, I really do appreciate you, you know, pulling up to a Chick-fil-A parking lot and talking to me. It's <laughs> been a lot of fun. I hope you had fun as much as I did. And, um, you know, thank you so much, man. And uh, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll, I'll see you guys next time. And I'm going to stop.